Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Narcissus and the first selfie, releasing our delusions. In this podcast, Eckhart talks about self-seeking. He says many people who are unawakened look for an identity in self-centered thinking. He explains these people may define themselves through social status, good looks, or the accumulation of wealth. Eckhart draws a parallel with the ancient Greek myth of Narcissus, a beautiful man who fell in love with himself gazing into a pool of water. Eckhart jokes that this was humanity's first selfie. And he explains this myth is also where the word narcissism comes from. He tells us the human ego has existed for thousands of years and continues to wreak havoc today. He also warns that technology and social media strengthen the ego. Eckhart advises that whatever identity we have created for ourselves, that we wear it loosely. Don't become lost like Narcissus. Instead, make a practice of releasing our self-centered delusions. Self-seeking. That's what most humans who are unawakened, that's where they're looking for themselves in some enhanced thought form of me, (laughs) identity. They're looking for an identity in thought, a thought form. It might be perceived as possessions, status, or whatever it may be, but it's really, it's all experienced in your mind. That is the unawakened state. And we have technology available to us to amplify the unawakened state, to amplify the human ego. That's a, yeah. All these platforms amplify what was already there before we came up with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, many other names. Before we came up with that, there was already the human ego, had already existed for many thousands of years, and it all started, of course, with the the arising of thought, the rising of image-making in the mind through thought. Oh, that's me, that's me. The first selfie ever taken was, happened in a mythological past in ancient Greece when a man called Narcissus, which is of course where the word narcissism comes from, a, a mythological figure, Narcissus, a beautiful young man, there was a time before iPhones, of course, a long time ago. It was also a time before the mirrors. They hadn't made mirrors yet. So one day this beautiful young man saw him, his image in a pool of water. 
and he fell in love with himself. I am so beautiful, he said. Oh, and that mythological tale is really has a deeper significance. It speaks of the arising of a egoic consciousness, which is an image of yourself that you live with and through. You, you live with and through a mentally created image of yourself. And, and so the, the mythological story of Narcissus is th that reflection, a reflected me, and then that is really the beginning of ego. And now we have um, selfies, so that pool of water, we don't need that anymore. We can continuously amplify our delusion by taking these photos and posting them into the world, and then that's me. And then other people confirm your existence as an important figure called Instagram influencer. <laughs> and then you, you have the power then to make thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people as unconscious as you are. <laughs> identity, uh, the delusion of identity. Often people ask you, what do you do? So you have to give an answer. They want some kind of identity. I often say, I'm a writer because if I say other things, it gets too complicated. <laughs> I'm a teacher of being. <laughs> that's, that's a very strange identity. <laughs> or e even worse, I am nobody. <laughs> and if you say that, and you mean it because there's some truth in this, but if you say that, and there's probably some spiritual pride behind it, when you affirm your essential nobodiness <laughs> with a sense of unconscious pride because you're so spiritual, that you're no longer, you're no longer identify, and then I am, no, I am nobody. I was never born and I will never die. <laughs> Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And what you've done, all this might be true, but you have you identify with another image of yourself. It's a very spiritual one, but it's just as egoic as, as the one who identifies with the Lamborghini Testarossa, or whatever. 
<laughs> Soldiers simplify, say I'm a writer, and sometimes to make it even more simple then people don't ask any more questions, I say I'm retired, I can do that now, I'm old enough. <laughs> And it's not untrue because I retired many decades ago f f from this externalized existence, so that's fine. I'm retired. Oh, okay. No further questions asked. <laughs> I was walking not long ago on my daily walk on a forest trail, and a couple were coming in the opposite direction, a young man and his girlfriend, wife, and he, as they were walking past me, he stopped and said, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? What's your name? I said, Eckhart, oh yes, YouTube, I'm watching you on YouTube all the time. And then he said to his girlfriend, he's a famous YouTuber. <laughs> So I have a new identity now. <laughs> and now my ambition is perhaps I too can become an Instagram influencer. <laughs> All I need is wait for a different body. So hold your form identity loosely, because obviously everybody has a form identity that consists of many different things. It depends what importance you give certain aspects of your particular physical, psychological form. Obviously you have a form identity. It always starts with the, the body, of course, the, uh, to some extent. You can't get away from that. This form identity begins with the body. As you may remember when I talk about form identity, I differentiate between form identity, which is physical form and psychological form, and essence identity, which is who or what you are beyond the physical and beyond the psychological, you as the consciousness, the transcendent consciousness which is there the moment you become still and you're still awake, you haven't fallen asleep, stillness remains. That is the beginning of realizing your essence identity. But your form identity, yes, it varies from person to person. What, what importance do you give certain aspects of your form? It be, as I said, it begins with the physical body. And for some people, that's already a huge chunk of their form identity is your, the, their physical appearance. And in some cases, it's a source of pride, so it, it makes you feel special because relative to others, your body is better looking or stronger. Or for many others, it's a source of suffering and shame because the body isn't good enough. It's not, it doesn't look good enough. It's, it's not, you compare, the ego compares its identity with others. 
So, and then you look at other, and some people are made temporarily happy by their bodies, by identifying with it, and others are made unhappy by their bodies. <laughs> but in either case, it's egoic identity. You might think that if you have a beautiful or strong body, obviously only for a few years, if you are really identified with the beauty or strength of your body, then you're in for a lot of suffering when that beauty or strength diminishes, then you begin to really suffer. Your sense of identity begins to crumble, no matter how hard you try to repair the decaying form, you can't really, well, you can spend a lot of money trying to patch up the sticks, <laughs> but can't go on forever. And then, and then eventually, as it sometimes it happens with some very beautiful actors, actresses, when they get really old and even the repair jobs don't work anymore, <laughs> then they, you never see them again. They live, live in hiding, it's very sad. They live withdrawn, don't want to be seen by anybody anymore. Very sad end to their lives. By the way, there's nothing wrong with if you be very happy if you have a strong and beautiful body. Enjoy it while you can, is my recommendation. But uh, it's not to be despised. It's, it's lovely, wonderful. It's not essentially who you are, obviously. So find who you are beyond that as soon as possible before it starts to decay. Find who you are beyond that, that's important. So, but it's not only the ego, it's not only amplified by identification with a strong or beautiful body, the ego is equally amplified if you have a shame or unhappiness attached to what you, you consider to be an undesirable looking body that's also of strong egoic thought form. It's just as strong as the one that takes pride in your appearance. Sometimes people think ego always refers to somebody who feels better and bigger than others. Big ego seems to be like a triumphant sense of identity that can be the case. But the ego is equally strong in the opposite of that, regarding yourself as inferior and suffering because of that, comparing yourself unfavorably to with other people on whatever level, seeing yourself as a, as a victim of life, that's an equally strong egoic identity, a thought form. So the ego is not necessarily and always a triumphant sense of identity. It can be just as strong as the opposite of that. So identification with the body, ultimately it will bring you suffering. As I said, even if your body is strong and beautiful and you identified with that, you move towards suffering. And if your body is not, you're not happy with it, you're suffering already. <laughs> so in either case, go deeper, go deeper. And then that's one identification. The other identification may be other external things to your body. Now, obviously, to some extent, the things that you put on your body become an extension of the body. <laughs> so you look for, if you want to create a certain image, to reinforce the image that you've already created for yourself, the way you dress 
becomes an extension of, you identify with that uh, as much as you identify with the actual physical body, it becomes an extension of the physical body. So that can become important too. What you put on becomes part of your identity and all the advertisers, the manufacturers of clothes and um, brands, they all know that, that ultimately you're not buying a piece of clothing, but you're buying an identity and they all know that, and that's what they advertise. They advertise an enhanced sense of identity. And again, it does not mean there's anything wrong with enjoying something beautiful to put on your body. The question is, does that give you your sense of identity, or is it simply something that you enjoy? Very big difference. In the same way with a possession, there's no need to let go of all possessions because if you radically, as some spiritual people have done and still do in the past, it, sometimes it may work, but the danger is, if you, let's say you, you're so spiritual that you say, I, I don't want any more possessions, nothing. And that still exists in, in some countries. In India, there's an unbroken tradition going back thousands of years of humans who have done that, and they still, some still do it. So they walk, some of them are actually totally naked, somewhere just a loincloth. They are supported because it's, this is valued there to relinquish all attachments completely in your attempt to find that deeper dimension where the being of you, that is the, where you are connected with the divine, with God, with source. The danger is when you do that, you create a substitute identity for, for yourself as a thought form of me, the one who has let go of everything. Therefore, the me that is superior to all those who are still attached to all those things. And that's the spiritual ego, it's, and that's very subtle and can be very deceptive. You can spend the rest of your life, if let go of everything, and then you have this huge spiritual ego walking around and you don't know it. <laughs> so it's much more helpful, except in some exceptional cases, if that is your calling to relinquish everything, if you very strongly feel that is your calling, then that's the way you have to go. But be careful that you don't create another identity for yourself, a, ma a mind-made identity out of that, then you're trapped again without knowing it. <laughs> uh, but if you do, my recommendation is first of all, because you probably have to let go of your, most of your clothes too, um, don't go and live in North Dakota or Canada. <laughs> uh, uh, move to Florida or here then at least your body is relatively comfortable. <laughs> but even then, you would still encounter problems. Uh, so m my first recommendation would be to move to India. <laughs> and there you will be looked after by people who kind of recognize that there's a spiritual seeker there. India is still many of these people, the renunciates, the sadhus. Some are genuine, wonderful beings and others do it for a living. It's great, you don't have to work. People give you food. 
can just sit around all day and, and be respected. <laughs> For some it's genuine and others uh, are fake. For some people, gender is an identity. The traditionally, being either a man or a woman was always an important part of your sense of self. How important varies from person to person. In some countries where genders are still clearly defined and separated, your gender identity can make up an important part of your sense of who you are. For example, in some countries, if you're a man, you immediately uh, have a certain superiority over the other 50% of humanity, or well, the women, that I'm a man. <laughs> and then the woman is also pushed into identification with their role, and, uh, and so the woman says, I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trapped in that kind of identification. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you, if you could? Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. I'm not going into gender because it's a big topic these days. <laughs> but is the... Are you seeking some ultimate identity, no matter what, you, uh, what gender you are? There's all these things these days, LGBTQ, etc., etc. Uh, okay, that's fine, but are you seeking some ultimate identity in that? That's an illusion again. Anything in, in form, you're seeking for some kind of ultimate completion of yourself that only the essence identity can give you. It does not mean that you cannot honor your form identity. It could also be racial, what color is my skin? Fine, you can, you can be happy with it, you can honor that, but making that into th your main identity, then you're trapped in, on the, the surface of life. So there's a difference between honoring your form identity and being trapped in your form identity. And also the importance is mistaking your form identity with the essence of who you are. Mistaking that for the essence of who you are, that's a, that is a delusion. So there's a subtle a way of dealing with the forms in your life and being able to differentiate between form identity and essence identity. Then you can enjoy the life of forms 
you can enjoy also a possession that you have or some possessions that you have, an object that you have enjoyed because perhaps it's well made or it's beautiful. Does that necessarily mean that you are psychologically attached to it? Not necessarily. You, you simply, it's lovely. But you may not know whether or not there is a clinging, and if there's a clinging means you have incorporated into your sense of self. But you may not know whether there is a clinging until perhaps it disappears or somebody takes it away or it gets damaged. <laughs> so you might say, okay, I have a f Ferrari but I'm not attached to it whatsoever. And the next day you go to your car and somebody has scratched it with a dress. <laughs> Oh, who the hell did <laughs> And you're upset for several hours. You were attached. <laughs> so to be excessively concerned with accumulation of objects, that's of course a sign that you're seeking yourself in objects again, and so there's an addiction which some people suffer from, which is called shopping. <laughs> and uh, th this is, the, they want to acquire, the happiest moments in their life is when they go into a shop and they choose something and then they, they get to the cash register and they pull out their credit card and the shop assistant puts it into this shiny luxury bag it has a name on it that shows how, how exclusive it is, the name. And then you walk home with the... <laughs> and sometimes the first moment of dissatisfaction comes when you arrive home and you take it out of the bag. Do I really want this? <laughs> or you wear it once or twice, but then you need something else. And then comes the compulsion to, to for more, more, more. That's part of when you're trapped in essence identity, you're always seeking for more, but not necessarily for objects. It could be possessions, but it could also be more of even relationships. It's never, ne never good enough, especially these days when so many potential partners are available to you on your phone. <laughs> so you're in a re relationship, but maybe the first little disagreement said, no, that wasn't right. He, she wasn't the right person. And you start looking again, even while the person is going to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> and you're already looking, you're getting it out and go, hmm. The more can also be experienced as eating excessively or excessive consumption of alcohol, excessive consumption of food. The underlying that can be the psychological need for not being complete enough, not needing to absorb, feeling a, something missing in myself, something important missing. You're looking for yourself in all kinds of things, in all kinds of places. And there, of course, the famous song from the, was it from the 60s or 70s, Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction, I can't get no. And of course, that is the ego song, this is the song of the ego. 
And it's sad, it's very sad. Uh, just before we finish, I'll tell you a little story that happened. I don't know if it's int so interesting, but uh, let's see. I met a man, if, if, whenever it was, before the time when you had to stop meeting people. <laughs> so it was years ago. And he's asked, what do you do? He said, as the people do. And I gave the most convenient answer, I'm a writer. And what do you write about? I said, well, now it was getting difficult. Because, <laughs> ah. He said, being present. Present, uh, can you explain that? Um, well, I just can't really be explained. In order to evade getting out of having to answer it, I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a food and wine critic. I have a big website, and that's my profession, food and wine critic. That's not a bad life. He goes around to the best restaurants, eating the best food and drinking the best wines. And he said, I'm on my way to a wine tasting in the Napa Valley for the whole weekend. And I just had this image, this is what they do. They taste a little bit of wine and then they spit it out and then they talk about it. They find incredible words to describe each wine. <laughs> so uh, that, I thought to me, this my opportunity to explain to him or to show him what this presence is all about. I said, when you taste wine, if you're very, very observant, you will notice that in the first moments when the wine reaches your, your tongue and it's, you squish it around in your mouth, in the, this moment, you may notice before you say something about it, you're not thinking. You're purely experiencing it in the, just, just a few seconds. And he thought that, yeah, that's right. And I said, that's presence. Oh. So even there, this, um, he, he realized that in order to fully experience that liquid, in order to fully experience it, he had to temporarily, briefly, set aside any conceptualization because his consciousness was needed fully for the sensory experience of it. And then his mind kicks in, and then the mind interprets the sensory experience and starts talking about it in ways that I could never do. The mind then begins to differentiate it. Talk, it has a, there's a butterscotchy taste and this and that, well, the strangest things, uh, the taste of, of blueberries in the background and whatever. Uh, uh, very poetic sometimes. But before he could do that, he had to fully be there in the experience, he had to be present to it. And that is something that actually applies to many other situations. You may find that in the first moments of experiencing something new, you're not thinking because you have to take it, you have to be present with it. Let's say, a bird suddenly comes, it lands on a branch in, in front of you. A bird suddenly lands and there it is. For the first few seconds, you take it in, three seconds maybe, 
for you're not calling it anything and then the mind may kick in and say something about it. Either it says I don't know what bird it is or it knows what bird it is, whatever it is, or I wonder what about it. Uh, or where's my phone, I need to take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> and in the first moments there is a complete experiencing before you name it. If you can catch the first moments, you're entering a room that uh, perhaps you haven't been to it before, or you're walking around the street of an unknown city that you haven't been to before, you're walking on the street and you're, you're turning a corner and there a new vista suddenly opens up, here's another street. And you look, in, you take it in, and there's always a gap before naming happens. And that's interesting, if you can be aware of that gap, then it can actually get longer. When you're aware of the gap of not naming, when you first experience something, and of course, food and drink also, it's a, it's a good one. It doesn't have to be wine, it could be orange juice, it could be anything, and you taste it. Your attention is fully in the, in the perception of it. And if you become aware of that stillness behind the sensory perception, then it gets longer. And that's a beautiful way of experiencing things by being more of the stillness that's experiencing, the awareness, than the person that immediately names it or finds some kind of, personalizes it in some way, finds some kind of personal relationship to it, wants it or doesn't want it, or wishes this, or all kinds of things. In any given moment, you can experience this moment predominantly as a, as a person with that's a normal so-called so normal way of living. You're very much absorbed in continuous mental creations involuntary, or you can experience the any given moment as as a presence, not as a person anymore. When you don't name it in any way, you're just aware, then you're just the awareness behind the perception. A walking awareness. I recommend that you practice that, especially here, but in your daily life, if you can. So what happens then is the, the person somehow diminishes in its importance and something else arises that still shines through the person but is transcendent to the person. That is unconditioned consciousness, awareness, presence, whatever you want to call it, that arises. So you diminish and something else grows. Something more real than the person. That is also the beginning of awakening. In esoteric Christianity, and, and some mystics have said, Jesus is the historical person who realized its essential connectedness with the divine. The transcendent dimension therefore was shining through him, and that's called the Christ. This evening, St. Paul in the New Testament says something like, I'm not good at quoting, but I must diminish and Christ in me must grow. That's the realization. That is, 
Buddha could be something similar. There was a man called Gautama Siddhartha Sakyamuni or something like that. I don't pronounce it correctly. And this was a historical person. And then the historical person, I suppose at one point, he was asked, who are you? Or something like that. And he said, I'm awake, instead of hearing his name. And that is the, the root of the word Buddha means to be awake. And then the historical person became the awakened consciousness. And interestingly, for several hundred years, I think five or six hundred years after the death of the Buddha, there were no Buddha images yet. They came much later. Perhaps the power was decreasing. They needed more images to remind themselves. And so then the famous Buddha images, Buddha Rupas, were created. And some of them are very beautiful. And again, it's important to realize when you look at a Buddha image, ultimately, it's, this is not the representation of an historical person. Obviously, nobody knows what he looked like. So it's not a representation of a historical person. It's a representation of a state of consciousness. So, and then it can be, when you know that, you can be, it's beautiful to look at, and the, the Buddha rupas, Buddha images that are made by great craftsmen, they have a, an almost imperceptible smile on their face. Very, very slight, you can hardly see it. <laughs> and the ones that are not so good, they look really serious. They, And if they have the, the, the good ones that have this hint of a smile, you might say, well, what's he smiling about? If all is emptiness, what's he smiling about? Well, he's smiling because he has transcended the egoic self and is rooted in spacious awareness. In the past, when I did counseling sessions with people, which often means you're just listening to their drama. Usually it's a drama. And uh, I didn't know it, but I unknowingly and perhaps stupidly, while I was listening, I was smiling slightly. <laughs> and a few times they, people stopped and said, what are you smiling about? I'm, I'm telling you my, my suffering. It was hard at that point. I didn't have that many words yet to explain things. I can't remember how I explained why I was smiling, but I can't do it now. It's because I could sense the reality that was beyond the drama in that person. Through my own realization, I could sense the ultimate delusional nature of their story and I could sense beyond the, the suffering entity, there was a being completely beyond suffering. I could, in other words, I could sense the sanity beyond the surface craziness in many cases. I could sense their essential beingness. I connected with their essential beingness, and that is very pleasant, and that's why I smiled, not because of the story. I wish I could have explained it, could have explained it to them like that.
I have a, these my bells here. I haven't used them yet to signal the end of our afternoon sessions. I will now ring the bells. <laughs> Lovely Tibetan bells. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.